0: Romans 8, let's come before the Lord and, and just ask God to, to visit us and help us get in touch with what Michelle was just singing, right? Where, when the Spirit of the Lord is here, there's freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord gets a hold of our hearts, we get liberated, we get help, we get encouragement, and wherever we're at today, whatever we walked in here with, whatever burdens, whatever groanings, whatever sufferings, whatever discouragement. Like God wants to minister to you where you're at. And and God wants to bring a word to us from his word and my prayer. And, And I'm asking you all to pray like that this word would be a better one than the one I've prepared, that he would take the loaves and fish and just Feed us right now, okay? So we're going to pray and ask God to, to visit us now. Father God, we thank You for the, the truths of of Romans 8, and we realize, Lord God, that as we've been ascending the mountain of hope that's laid out for us in Romans 8, Lord, who's who's able to fully plumb the depths of the riches of glorious hope and the sobering picture, Lord, of the ugliness in the world around us as that backdrop. Father, I just pray, Lord, that that you would open our hearts now, Lord God, that your spirit would be on us in ways, Lord, that help us where we need it most. Lord, you know every heart in here. You know every person. You know every need. You know every suffering that's going on. You know the things that are going on in the human heart and in the soul better than even we know ourselves what's going on with us. And I pray that You would give us the hope that we need, that we would hear the truths we need to hear, that You would cause our hearts to be open and receptive to this message, that I would get out of the way and that Your Spirit would take over and that Your Spirit would move upon the life-giving truths of this message and give us help and encouragement, and hope in a time of need. And Father, when we live in a world filled with floods and filled with devastating tornadoes and filled with torrential downpour that can wreak havoc all around us, when we see so much of the effects of sin in the world around us, and it can be so dark, we need the ray of hope to shine forth. And I pray, God, that, that Romans 8 would do that in our hearts, that it would break forth like sunshine on our souls. And so we ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple of months back, uh, I took the whole family to the Salado Wildlife Center in Frankfurt. And we were um, heading over there and the kids just had a blast, you know, where there's all these different areas where they can look at the animals and they can get right up close, you know, and they could be seeing the snake, you know, exhibits and and looking at all these poisonous snakes and and they're fascinated, you know, they loved every bit of it. And then we walked through and, and we're walking through to different sections where you could get close to like a bear and be like, 10 feet away from this big old black bear, right? And then finally we get to this section of the wildlife center and it's the bison section. And the bison are like way out. You know, they're just like so far out there that you could barely see them. And they're huge animals. And so you kind of walk up to it and then there's this like set of binoculars there for you to look through. And so what you're seeing is these giant beasts from afar, just looking, you know, kind of not what they should be looking like to our eyes. And you get up to the binoculars and you look in, and all of a sudden, you know, you see all of the features. You see the the, the just the vastness of these bison, this big old head and this big old like I don't know if bison have manes, but you know whatever the bison mane thing is or whatever, <laughs> like. You got to see all those features. You could even see, like, the drool coming out of their mouth. You could see their hooves, you know, sort of thing. But you needed to get up to the binoculars. You needed to get the spectacles on so you could see the way things really are. And we're walking into Romans 8, verses 18 to 25 again. Last week, we kind of pulled back and got kind of a primer for suffering, to give us some help when we when we get into suffering in this world, now we're going to step up to those bifocals. We need, we need God's Word. We need the spectacles of Scripture and the spectacles of God's Word to actually see clearly and make sense of what's going on in the world around us. When we see stuff like Floods, devastating communities in eastern Kentucky. Or when we see, see stuff like global pandemics for two years, right? Or when we see stuff like the, the kinds of uh, diseases that befall us. You know, every one of us here on one level is affected by living in a fallen world. And so we need to see clearly. And what Paul is doing is he's helping us through the lens of Scripture, see the world the way it really is. Just like the kids were able to see the bison. You know, it was just this far distant thing and they get up and they see it the way it is. So we're going to come up into this text and I want you all to kind of get encouragement and help from this. Because many of you live in a world of suffering. Many of you live in a world of groaning and pain and difficulty. So if we don't get some realistic help, if we don't get some realistic hope, which is what Paul wants to lay out to us, then it's so easy to sink into the throes of despair without this outlook that only Christians have and that only God's Word gives to us. So here's the main thing I want us to think about. The Christian understanding of the world, this world of present suffering, should be the most realistic and the most hopeful outlook. The most realistic and the most hopeful. Let's look at it in verse 18 of chapter 8. For I consider Will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And as we walk through that, you you kind of could see Paul showing us like there's a realism there. There's a, there's a present suffering. There's a realism. And then there's a hope. There's an eager anticipation. There's, there's images of, of like a woman in labor. Labor pains, right? Painful in the moment, but glory's coming. And that's, that's what Paul is wanting to show us when we are hit in the face by the reality of suffering, trials, difficulties, hardships of living in this present world that we live in. So let's look at those things one at a time. Number one, Christians are the most realistic people about what's wrong with the world. And when you look at the text, you can see the realism, right? You can see this, this view, like the Christian view of life just sees life as it is as we live in this world, as you and I experience it. It's describing the world in a way that doesn't ignore the ugliness, doesn't ignore, ignore the tough stuff, but sees it for what it is. And sometimes people can charge Christians and be like, y'all are kind of negative. All you talk about is sin and, 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 and you're just dark, 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 dark. But as we're going to see, like Paul soars into the hope. And Paul sees the beauty of creation. But he also sees the reality. And God is showing us the reality that there's some brokenness going on in the world around us. And it's a biblical reality. And it's a reality that hits us in the face every single day. And you only have to walk into eastern Kentucky to see it. Or you only have to walk in the front door of your home to see it. Amen? So, look, look at what it's, it's showing us here. It's showing us an explanation for all of the mass shootings and all of the wars and all of the rise of dictatorships and, and all of the diseases like cancer and COVID-19. It's showing us why these things come. Look at it in verse 18. It says, "We live in the age of the sufferings of this present time. We live in the age of this sufferings of this present time, or verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. There's a futility going on. There's a sense in which the, 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 the purposes of creation are being frustrated. Right? Last week we talked about every farmer knows, like, things don't just go right all the time on the farm. Thorns and thistles, there's frustrations, there's machines that break down, there's weeds that pop up, there's crops that fail, there's a frustration happening. Verse 21 says that the creation is in bondage to corruption. Like, The creation itself is in bondage. Something has happened to it. Verse 22 says the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And anybody who's been in a labor and delivery room, right? There's a lot of pain that goes on. There's a lot of suffering that goes on. All the moms in here say amen. Amen. All right. All right. So, verse 23 says, And not only the creation groans, but we ourselves, Christians, we groan in this world. Like Paul realizes he's talking to Christians in the letter of Romans. He's talking to people who've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and yet they suffer. And yet they go through pain. And yet they get sick. And yet they get cancer. And yet they get tumor diagnosis. And yet they experience hardships in the family. And what is all this stuff? Why is this going on? Well, Paul is is showing us a picture of what we're experiencing in this present age. Something happened. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. Because God originally made creation good. And He put man in a garden. Adam and Eve in a garden. And said, eat, drink, have all of this stuff in the garden. Multiply. Be fruitful. And multiply. And you can have everything but the one The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that lest you die. And we live in the aftermath of our great, 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 great ancestors' sin when the world was plunged into a curse. There's a sense we know something's not right. When you look at it all, right? How often after a mass shooting does the whole world In shock and awe. Why? The question. Why? Because we live in a broken world. We we live in a world where we're alienated from God. We live in a world where suffering occurs. We live in a world where people do horrible things. We live in a world of broken marriages. We live in a world of starving whole, whole people groups starving in certain parts of the world. And Paul gives us this explanation. He shows us. There's a groaning. There's a fallenness. There's a frustration. There's a bondage. And every one of us feels it deep in our bones. and anybody who's visited a loved one in a hospital feels it deep in their bones and every any one of us who's watched death take somebody we deeply care about knows this world is not the way it should be and hang with me cuz we're getting to the hope but we need to feel this because sometimes we don't understand why this is happening. Like, why the suffering? Why the tornadoes? Why the floods? Why diseases? Why all of that? Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, last week we looked at, we went back and we looked at where this all went down. Because this creation was subjected. That's past tense. That means something happened that is affecting us up into this day. Something happened at a fixed point in time. Adam and Eve believed the serpent instead of the Word of God. They preferred to live apart from God's Word and apart from God's fellowship. And they wanted to become their own God. And this is the pronouncement that the Lord makes in the garden. Genesis 3, He says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. Curse from sin entering the world this curse, all of the things that we experience, all of the effects of natural suffering, natural evils to human sin and human suffering and human sickness and human evils, all of it stemmed from this moment. And every time we see it in the world around us, it's a parable to every one of us that sin is horribly horrendous. It's horribly awful. And we don't feel it. We don't feel it. We don't, we don't live our lives thinking we've offended God. We've, we, we've been doing our own thing. We don't give Him the glory He's due. We don't thank Him. We don't honor Him. We just live our lives as if He doesn't exist. As if we don't breathe the air that He's provided. As if He didn't make us. And then suffering hits and what happens? We begin to cry out. Then suffering hits and we begin to feel our need. Then pain strikes and we begin to see. We're broken. We're fractured. Death, disease, disaster. And that's what Paul says earlier in Romans. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all of us sin. Every one of us have been touched in this way. Every one of us know this tragedy. But the Christian walks into a funeral which every one of us will experience one day. Every one of us will taste death. Every every one of us will experience our mortality but the Christian looks at it and sees we we, we we have an example of a need for rescue. We see like death as an enemy. We see death as an intruder. We see death as something that came in as a result of sin. And we cry out for rescue. And every one of us knows this deep down. But the Christian knows that there's great hope in the midst of a suffering, discouraging, dark, depressing world. Romans eight or uh, 5.18 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it's equally important for us to feel the weight of the horror that we're in. In living in a fallen, corrupted world that has all the stuff that we lament and as we read the papers, we get discouraged. And yet the Christian sees hope injected into it. The Christian knows the reality of Romans 8.20 that has all over it, even in the midst of God's judgment being pronounced. Look at Romans twenty or uh, 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Like this has been a hope Injected in to even the judgment in the garden, Adam and Eve were promised that God would send a deliverer. God would send somebody to write this mess that we've made for ourselves. God would send somebody who could make death work backwards. God would send somebody who could, who could wipe out suffering, wipe out pain, wipe out sorrow, wipe away all our tears. Like, that's what God's doing. And that's what He's purposed from the beginning. So, God's judgment on human sin was not without hope. Hope for redemption. And that's what we see in our second point. Christians should be the most hopeful people on the planet. They should be the most joyful people on the planet. They should be the the most full of life. They should be the ones longing and looking and waiting and rejoicing and seeing and having the sorrow that, that, that we experience in this world. It's sorrow, but it's a sorrow that also rejoices. When you have a dear brother or sister who goes to be with the Lord, it is a sorrowful thing because you miss them. But it is a joyful thing because you know they enter the presence of God. And they're, they're, they're going to be glorified one day. Their problems are over. They've escaped this present age. The age of curse. And they've experienced the mighty power of salvation breaking in. Look at verse 24. This is the hope. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now you remember, like when we were in the Salado Wildlife Center, we had to, we had to look out to try to see those bison. And then we got the binoculars, and we we, we could see more clearly. And ultimately, what hope does. What hope does in the soul, the Christian hope, the hope that Jesus has purchased on a cross, the hope that God's gonna bring to his people is it it begins to give you clarity, it begins to help you see the world the way it really is. It begins to put, put rock under your feet when you're suffering and you're in pain and you're experiencing the most harshest realities of living in this world. Listen to it in in, in verse 18. Paul's, Paul's wanting us to consider something. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Last week we spent some time talking about this glory that's going to be revealed, and we looked at a bunch of other passages dealing with it, and now we're going to see it just all over this passage. We're gonna see glory everywhere. We're gonna see hope everywhere. We're gonna see like God breaking in to your real life suffering, to Him breaking in to the reality when arthritis is like a crushing, venomous bite that sends pain all through your body. We're gonna see like Paul speaking in and giving you hope when you feel like your lungs are just collapsing and you can't breathe anymore. We're going to see hope breaking in when your child is struggling with disabilities. We're going to see hope breaking over marriages that are experiencing suffering and hardship and division and difficulty. And we're going to see the hope that the creation has and that we have ourselves as the people of God. So look at it in verse 19. The hope of creation. This is the natural created world. For the creation waits with eager longing, verse 19, for the revealing of the sons of God for the unveiling. It's like God is getting ready to unveil something and the creation is anticipating it. It's personifying creation. saying, Creation's longing. It's craning craning its neck. It's wanting something to happen. It's wanting the the sons of God, which we've seen earlier in Romans, that that's that's the people of God. That's those who've been adopted. By God. That's those who belong to Jesus. They've been brought out of Adam's family, the family of corruption, the family broken by sin, and they've been brought into the family of Christ. Oh, And that's glorious hope because what happens is the revealing of the sons of God is the very thing that needs to happen for this world to be made right. Do you realize that? So goes humanity. The creation follows. If the sons of God are glorified, if the people of God are glorified, then the whole creation gets renewed. And we have a brand new playground to live in. We have a brand new playground with no flooding and no pain and no tornadoes and no starvation. Every belly's full. Arthritis is non-existent. And the creation itself is longing for that day. Looking forward to it. It's looking through its own binoculars. I can't wait. I can't wait. And that's what Paul's saying. Even creation is longing for this day to come. This anticipation of the fullness of of God's saving purposes being worked out for His people. And He he says it in different ways, right? He pictures creation like a woman in labor. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, when my wife was pregnant with... Our first son Isaiah, I remember going into the hospital room that night and she was induced and it was like they hooked her up to all these gadgets, you know, heart monitors and there was lights flickering everywhere and you would have thought it was like a space shuttle launch, you know, more than a labor and delivery room until the pain started happening, until the contractions started to hit, until the reality of groaning this reality of, of groaning and the pains of childbirth. And everyone in here knows, right? The pains and groanings of a woman in labor is very different than somebody on the oncology ward in a hospital. You don't look at those pains that are cr- people crying out in pain because cancer had, has riddled their body. You don't look at those groans the same way. You don't look at those sorts of pains the same way. But the woman in labor knows glorious things are afoot. Glorious blessings are afoot. Glorious promises are about to unfold. There's going to be a beautiful baby born. And what happens? All of that groaning gives way to glory. All of that groaning gives way to joy. All of that hope that was anticipated becomes a reality. And that is the very excitement that the creation is experiencing as it longs for in every birth pang, every tornado, birth pang, every bit of difficulty that you see in the world. All kinds of natural sufferings. All kinds of sickness. From arthritis to AIDS. Is birth pangs. Because one day, Jesus Christ will come back and the people of God, the children, will be glorified. And then, God will change the whole universe and renew the universe. And we'll walk into that and you'll be able... Because if you've got renewed bodies and resurrected bodies, you got to live in a new world. You can't live in this old beat-up world. Right? And we can't live in these old beat-up bodies. So next time you get a cold... Think about birth pangs. Next time you get a hard diagnosis, this is getting you ready for the hospital room. This is getting you ready for the struggles of old age. This is getting you ready for those hard realities. But it's not just the creation, but we ourselves we Christians groan deep within like there's something going on. Every time we experience hard things, there's a groaning and a longing for something to be different, something to change. And that's what verse 23 is all about. And not only the creation groans, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit as Christians, but even Christians groan. Inwardly, as we await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Even Christians who've been given a down payment, you've been given the first fruits, right? All the farmers in here know when the first fruits come, that's a sign that the harvest is coming. And if you've been saved, By Christ, if you've been brought into the family of God, that's first fruits. That's the spirit being set into you to, 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 to dwell inside of you. And it's God's deposit. It's his surety. It's the first fruits that the harvest of glory is coming. And that's a glorious, wonderful reality. And it's all over scripture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.2, For in this tent we groan, in this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, or this body, we groan. There it is again. Being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God has guaranteed you, Christian, that because His Spirit is inside of you, all of His other promises will come true. Because He's giving you a foretaste, the Heavenly dessert will be granted. Because He's given you a down payment, you know the full inheritance that you have is in store. And that's going to make a lot of difference when you're in the throes of suffering. When old age has taken a toll on your body. When the lash of persecution falls on you. When the pains of difficulty in your families fall on you and you feel like this is an emergency, you better know the harvest is coming and your groaning one day is gonna give way to glory and God wants to put some rock up under your feet. And that's what this passage is all about. Some of you might think, you know, like, Paul's not in, like, is he really in touch? With this, is he really in touch? Paul spent most of his Christian life in prison. And he was beheaded for the Gospel. He spent sleepless nights. Shipwrecks. Being stoned within an inch of his life. He's no novice. He knows the medicine we need and we need to fix our eyes on the hope of glory that's coming and verse 23 says guess what it is one day these old smelly disease-ridden bodies will one way one day be renewed they'll be redeemed the redemption of our bodies is coming these broken down vessels are going to be made new one commentator put it like this, like the adoption that we experience, we're in God's family now, but it doesn't become fully consummated till we become totally like Jesus with a new body like He has. And He raised up from the dead, glorious, so that one day you would experience that reality in Him. So we've seen there's, there's a realism here in this passage. And there's glorious hope. There's glorious hope. There's a symphony of groanings. And there is a beautiful chorus of heavenly music awaiting renewed ears so that you can rejoice before the throne of God and live in a perfect new universe forever. So let's get a little comfort as we think about implications for your life. This has has everything to do with where you're at right now. It has everything to do with where you'll be at 10 years from now. Number one, suffering wakes us up. Pain wakes us up to our need for God. Have you ever felt that? when everything's going well, we don't even really care, right? But when suffering comes, oh God, I need You. Lord, I need You. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh Lord, how I need You. C.S. Lewis beautifully captured this when he said pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. He shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone for getting our attention. And maybe God is speaking to you today in your pain. He's speaking to you today in your suffering. He's speaking to you today in your sorrows. And the Lord's saying, you need Me. You need Me. Oh, how you need Me! and the pain is waking you up. The pain is opening your eyes. And He's right there. He says, I love you so much that I didn't just leave you aloof in this world to struggle in a fallen, broken world, but I sent My Son into it to be the suffering servant to come and save people. Broken people. Suffering people. And do you hear Him calling to you this morning, saying?" Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. That's what the Bible says. Jesus actually suffers in our place. Listen to 1 Peter 3.18. This is God's Word right now. This is the Spirit-breathed Word. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit." Dear friends, if God sent Jesus to take on flesh, to deal with all the frailties of living in a fallen world, to deal with all the temptations of living in a fallen world, and do what Adam failed to do in the garden, And to bear the wrath of God for sin because God pronounced a judgment. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died for sinners. And He did it so that He might bring us to God and deep down all of your pain all of your sorrow all of your suffering is screaming out at you saying you need God and you need his forgiveness and you need his rescue and you need the suffering savior to come in and rescue you and not only does he come into the suffering but he swallows up all of the consequences of sin all of the all of the the judgment that you deserve, He dies on the cross. So you don't have to if you trust Him. He raises out of the dead so death does not have to be the end for you. He raises with resurrection glory so that one day you would have the hope that heaven is a reality. And He did it so you would have proof positive that He's the only One who can save you. He is who He said He was. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. And we need to look at our suffering through the spectacles of glory that is coming. I want us to put spectacles on. I want us to be able to say with Paul, for I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Or 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a glimpse and a preview of what it's going to look like when we're raised. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all asleep be asleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body, that's the one under the curse, must put on the imperishable, that's the resurrected body. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when that happens, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass, pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's as if the Christian can taunt death in the face of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the revealing of the sons of God. And one day the whole universe will know who the people of God are because we will be raised and transformed and radiant like the sun. And every blade of grass and every tree will be renewed. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Our swords will be beaten into plowshares. And all of the exquisite suffering you have faced will be worth it. Because glory has dawned. For in this hope, we were saved. In this hope, we were saved. That's the hope of a Christian. That's why the Christian can be both the most realistic person in the world and the most hopeful. Do you have that hope, brothers and sisters? If you're visiting today, do you have that hope? Do you know how to deal with your suffering? Do you know how to deal with your pain? Do you know how to deal with your sin? God has given an answer. And God has given a hope in Christ. And we're going to pray right now. And I'm going to ask the Lord to, to minister to us wherever we're at. Father, we thank You that We have been given great hope in this passage. We need this passage. We need this rock under our feet. As believers, we can be so prone to wander from it when the pain is intense, when the suffering night is long. We need the truth that it's going to be swallowed up in glory. We need the truth that that breaks out with the hope That Jesus is going to make all things new. And Father, I pray for those suffering moms, suffering dads, suffering sons, daughters. I pray for the suffering grandfathers and the the suffering grandmothers. I pray for those in here who feel all alone and their pain has been waking them up. Waking them up to their need for God. And I pray, O God, that they would turn to You in this hour of need. That they would turn to You in the midst of this day. And that they would get the realistic hope that Jesus came to bring. And He said, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. And those of us who are pressing on in these truths and encouraged and just needed to be stirred up by way of reminder, I just pray we'd soar into this week knowing, Lord, that we have a confidence. We have a glorious hope in this greatest of all news that Jesus swoops in as the suffering Savior and He takes suffering sinners And He makes them totally new. And one day, all of that newness is going to show up in a glorified, heavenly, beautiful universe. And Lord, we can't wait. We long. We long like, like a woman in labor, just longing for the day for it to come. And we ask Your blessing now that You would help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.